Well, hey, on the back of your, uh, or in the middle of your bulletin is today's passage. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you did, the, the passage is John 15, 12 through 17. Um, most of us don't think of it as being an odd thing that Jesus calls us to love one another, right? That's not a big shocker. Obviously, it's better than hating one another. But if you're someone who's been around the church for a while, or you maybe you grew up in a religious family, it probably doesn't even cause a strong reaction in you when somebody says, hey, by the way, guys, Jesus said to love one another. But in John 15, our passage this morning, Jesus makes some surprising statements as he urges his disciples to love one another. And this is what he says. I'm going to read. You can follow along on the inside of your bulletin. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another As I have loved you, greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. And then he says this, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And then he finishes by saying what he started with. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, if we unpack these words from Jesus, which we're going to do briefly unless the uh, clouds come in and then I'll extend my sermon by 20 or so minutes. Uh, But if we unpack these words from Jesus, we're going to be confronted by something so much more uncomfortable than this humidity and this heat, right? Because we might think that we're loving another when we're just being nice and when we're being respectful and polite or supportive of one another. Don't hear me wrong. Those are all good things. But if that was the case, if it was just merely that, if it was just as easy as that, Jesus probably would have said, this is my suggestion to you, disciples. But he doesn't say that. He says, this is my commandment. We're told very clearly that to be friends with Jesus, one must bear abiding fruit by loving one another like Jesus loves. And he starts in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus doesn't give you love options. Do you catch that from the beginning? This should make everybody a little bit nervous as we read this because most of us, like the disciples have heard the great commandment from Mark 12. You don't have to turn there, but it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says this, the second is this, this is what he adds to it. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. But Jesus here is saying, hey guys, let me unpack this a little deeper. Let me tell you my expectations for those who are my disciples, okay? Because here's the thing, if you know something about me, and many of you do, if, if you allowed me to choose, if God allowed me to choose how I wanted to express my love to you, it would probably almost never cost me anything, right? It would be a convenient kind of love. I'd probably plan it out so that every time I loved you, I got something in return. I got something back in the, in the deal. One for you, two for me, Right? That was what my sister used to play to me when we had the candy out, right? But Jesus gives us specific instructions when he says this, that you love one another, how? As I have loved you. So Jesus is not saying, do as I say, not as I do. He gives his disciples a sneak peek 
of the cross in verse 13 when he says, look, greater love has no man than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us, out of a convenient love. Again, he's not advocating just liking, tolerating, just having passive indifference. He's not saying, hey, as long as you don't hurt anyone, you're, you're loving them like I have loved you, right? It's not minimum love, it's maximum love, and it requires not loving as the world loves, which we would say is a transactional love. I love you in order to be loved. Because that kind of love is going to stop when the checks stop rolling in, right? 2 Corinthians 5 tells us this, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the love of Christ is the one that controls us. So this kind of love that Jesus commands us to love with, it controls us as it commands us to an inconvenient love. And then it goes even further because loving one another like Jesus loves, it does this crazy thing where it makes us friends with Jesus. He says it right there in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So here's what's interesting for us, right? We don't typically associate the word friend with command. Like never once have any of my friends said, I command you to obey me. Those guys are like former friends now, right? But Jesus says, for those who obey my commands, he says it right there. He says, you are my friends. Now this, this creates conflict in us. It creates conflict in me. It probably causes us to think of Jesus more like a boss than a friend, right? But here's what we know about bosses. A boss doesn't necessarily know his employees or her employees, nor is she obligated to know them. Bosses are obligated to pay employees for services rendered, right? We all know that. But it's easy for us to think of God as a boss who just wants us to get the job done. But what this passage does is it causes us to reflect. It causes us to ask the question, hold on, what if we're thinking of God wrongly? What if this is not in actuality, the way the God of the Bible actually presents himself to us. Because here's how we might define a boss. A boss is someone you give your time to in order to gain something from in return. But a friend we might define as someone who commits themselves to your greatest joy. To your greatest joy. In fact, let's go back and read John 15. I'm going to do it. Verses 9 through 11. And it says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is Jesus talking. He said, abide in my love. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be Full. So Jesus tells us this. He tells us that keeping his commandments means that you will abide in his love and that his motivation for you keeping his commandments is that your joy might be full and bursting inside of you. Now, I've never had any boss offer me those kinds of bonuses, okay? Ever. So we shouldn't think wrongly of Jesus when he says, 
You are my friends if you obey my commands. And we shouldn't think wrongly of his commands either because in 1 John, John tells us, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So we love our brothers and sisters because of God's love for us. And then he says this, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. So we see the circular thing happening. And then he finishes by saying, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And he says this shocking thing. He says, and his commandments, they're not burdensome. So if we obey his commands, Jesus says we're his friends. And by friends, he means we're his beloved ones. And then John assures us that Jesus doesn't lay burdensome commands on his beloved ones. So if we can just take a minute and reflect on the fact that isn't it a relief that Jesus isn't a horrible boss? Isn't that a relief? Isn't it a relief that Jesus isn't some task-oriented guy always looking over your shoulder, making sure you're earning your paycheck? I mean, you're probably grateful that your boss employs you. You most likely even want to do well to please them. And you're happy when you receive your paycheck, but there's a good chance you're not super tight You're not super good friends with your boss like you are with your other friends, right? I mean, even a great boss has to have some kind of professional relationship with you. He or she can't share every detail of every meeting and every plan they're making on behalf of the company. But that's not the kind of relationship Jesus has with those who obey his commandments to love one another like he loves. Look what he says in verse 15, again, let me get there. He says, no longer do I call you servants, he tells us. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. So there's no, listen, there's no backroom deals going on between Jesus and the father. Jesus tells his disciples, everything his father has told him, he's told them. There's no hidden codes in Scripture. When I got out of seminary, nobody gave me the secret manuscript that I got like hidden in my closet that I'm not allowed to show any of you, right? Now, certainly there's a mystery to God's Word. There are things we cannot know about the mind of God because it's the mind of God. But everything God wanted us to know, He clearly revealed to us in His Word. And again, let this change and help your thinking because... For those of you who can't imagine Jesus calling you his friend. For those of you who have this image of God as being this wizard behind a curtain who's doing everything he can to make sure you just do what he says and that he's incredibly angry and agitated and disappointed when you don't. For those of you right now who feel he's mad at you because you haven't prayed and you haven't read your Bible in weeks, you would come up to me and say, Ronnie, it's been like weeks It's been months. The only time I open my Bible is on Sunday when I come to church and you force us to do that. You can find comfort in this, okay? In the unqualified words of Jesus in verse 16. Look down. This is what he says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Well, this just confuses me when I read this part. 
It kind of confounds me. Why did Jesus go here? I mean, is he even talking about the same thing anymore? Did he just get distracted in his mind? I thought we were talking about loving one another like Jesus loves us and that when we obey his command, he calls us friends. What is this sort of left turn he takes in this choosing me stuff? Well, a servant can be chosen to perform a duty. That's kind of how we think of a boss. But a friend, well, a friend is different. A friend is chosen from sheer delight. Jesus made the first move in the formation of his friendship with you. And this shows his intentions. This shows how we need to think about the way that he thinks. He's not a guy who started a business and needs anyone he can get to keep this thing running. The first move Jesus makes towards you was in laying down his life. And in 1 John, we're told, we love because he first loved us. This changes how we think about Jesus and about the way Jesus thinks. So without this first love, this prompting by Jesus, in fact, we're unable to love one another with the kind of love that places us in the friends category with Jesus. Now listen, some of you just chafe at the thought of being told what to do. I'm one of those guys. You want to decide who you should love. And you want to decide not only who you should love, but how you get to love them. But here's what's interesting. In the same way that God chose you, he also chose those for you to love so that you would bear abiding fruit. So as much as God chose you to bear fruit, that person sitting next to you, he also chose if he's a follower of Christ or if she's a follower of Christ. And they were chosen to love you with a fruit that abides. And the reason Jesus chose you and appointed you was for that reason. And the fruit that comes from loving one another with this kind of love, with a self-denying, others-oriented love, is so that people will know who you belong to. So when I love you the way Jesus loved me by laying down his life, you know who I belong to. And other people see that love and they identify that as being a different love, a peculiar love. So here's a question. Does the way you love your brothers and sisters make sense to those who don't follow Jesus? Does it make sense when they see the different kind of way that you love your brothers and sisters? Because if it's with the kind of love Jesus commands you to love them with, it shouldn't make any sense. So how can we do this then? How can we love like Jesus loves and prove to be his friends who bear abiding fruit? Well, here's a couple things and we're going to end. I think it's helpful for us to remember that the life that you lay down as you love your brother and sister is not your old life. Okay? The love you love others with is not a previous, old, unredeemed, unsanctified love. It's a resurrected love. It's a resurrected love that comes from a resurrected life. It's the new you that you are laying down your life for others with and loving others with. It's the new creature who's been reunited with his creator. It's not the old dead you. It's not the you that's unknown to God and lays down your life out of duty and out of obligation, begrudgingly. 
It's not, hey, I did my time. Are we good now? Can I move on? Kind of love. It's actually more like what Jesus is describing here. It's like a love between best friends. Because a friend is a person who always has your best good in mind and is willing to sacrifice whatever it takes for you to flourish. That's a friend. Well, that's the kind of friend I want. That's the kind of friend I want to be. So when Jesus says, you're my friends, if you do what I command, man, it challenges our notion of friend. It takes it up a notch. Because listen, if you had a friend who never steered you wrong and everything they told you was always for your best good, and they gave their life for you so that you might have freedom from everything and anything that threatens your joy, what would you do? Well, heck, you'd trust every word that came out of this friend's mouth. Because an employee asks for those things that will benefit his employment situation. But a friend asks what he can do for the one who has done everything for him. And so what we're reminded of is that Jesus has done everything for you. And when your heart is moved to obey his command to love one another as he loves you, he calls you his friend. And it's not some kind of love that you got to drum up. It's a resurrected love that comes from a resurrected life. It's a love full of grace, full of mercy, full of fatherly forgiveness and care. So here's our charge, here's our question for today, is will your brothers and sisters, will they benefit from this resurrected love of yours? Will they receive your self-denying, others-oriented love that you've been given so much grace to give and to live out? Will your brothers and sisters be looked after, cared for, and loved by you, who Jesus calls friend? And by the way, I've seen this love. I've seen this love acted out in this church now for six years. And let me just tell you, it's a sight to behold. So we want to pray that God continues to stir our hearts to continue to love our brothers and sisters with the same kind of love that Jesus loves us with so that we might be his friends in a weary world might look at us and behold God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this love that you sent Jesus to love us with. Lord, as we reflect on Jesus as our friend, I pray that he would ever stir more deeply in our hearts to love one another the way that we have been loved to let our hearts break for our brothers and sisters, that we should look to their needs before our own, that we would be a church, Lord, that is ferocious and intentional and humble about the ways that we look around us and we see the needs that are before us and we don't wait. But Lord, we take the gifts you've given us and we extend those to others. And Lord, we thank you that even when we don't do that, and none of us do that perfectly, Lord, you are not standing over us returning your friendship. Lord, you're still our friend and you still have so much grace and mercy. And Lord, even in our failings, Lord, that grace and mercy that we receive from you, it's all the more that we have to give to our brothers and sisters, Lord. 
So thank you for this love. I pray that it increases, and I thank you for the increase that you've already given us in it because we have Christ as our friend. So we thank you for this. Thank you for this day. We pray that you would bless it and you'd keep us safe. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.